how are we all today? Great to see you all in person again, and thanks for having me back to speak to you today while Mason's taking a well-earned week off. You just have to forgive my nerves, because speaking in front of actual people, well, this is a bit of a first for me. Although last year we went through the book of Jonah together, we were just looking at each other through the camera here. So if you could do your best and try to look even more friendly than usual, that, that, that would, that'd be awesome. Okay, so no silly stories to open this time. Let's get straight into it. So I invite you to grab your Bibles and open them up or turn them on and open up to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 20. And thanks, Ben Lowe, for your reading. Now, what's the first thing we read? Yes, it's the heading, the Ten Commandments, and our hearts sink. Here we go again. The God of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, just commanding people what to do again. He sure loves to do that, doesn't he? If the last two years has taught us anything, it has to be that people just love being told what to do, especially tradies in construction unions. <laughs> but hold on, before the anti-authoritarian in each of us perks up and our eyes glaze over and we slowly drift off to our happy place where this sermon is not, stop, give me a chance. I know this passage could seem a little dry, boring, insert your own adjective here, because if we've grown up in or around Christ or been in Christian culture for a while, it may feel like we've been through all this, the Ten Commandments, a thousand times before, and that we know all that there is to know about them. So that's why I've tried to make our time here this morning as colourful and as interesting as possible. So what I want to do is to take us back, back to Sunday school, and more specifically to the lesson on the Ten Commandments and how to remember them. Look at this. You're doing great, and you look younger and even more friendly already. So I've got a couple of illustrated cards up here to help us. I could have just gone to Google Images and put them up on the screen, but remember, we're back in Sunday school. And for me, that was the late 80s, early 90s. So Google hasn't been invented yet. So this is actually how I was taught the Ten Commandments way back then. But first, a little context as to where and when the Ten Commandments appear in the story of the Bible. So after, choosing, after God chooses Abram and Sarai, an old barren couple, to rebuild a chosen nation from, after things went horribly wrong on page three of our Bibles, then again with Noah in chapter six, then again at the Tower of Babel in chapter 11, this loving God, even after all that, is still pursuing relationship with these messed up humans. So, through God's miraculous gifting and a few name changes along the way, he enables this family to grow from this one barren couple into an entire nation of people, the Israelites. However, the Israelite nation has found themselves under, under brutal persecution as slaves in Egypt, trapped with no hope. 
but notice, God, but God notices, intercedes, and puts a stop to their persecution and frees them out of slavery and promises them a new land full of goats and bees. So the people are on their way to this new promised land and they stop at Mount Sinai on the way. They spend nearly a year here, camped around the base of the mountain. And it's here where Moses, the reluctant Israelite leader chosen by God, goes up the mountain and meets directly with God. And it's here where God gives to Moses the Ten Commands. The first ten and most famous of the 613 instruction God gives to Moses up at Mount Sinai. Okay, let's dive into our Sunday school. The first command, number one. There is only one God you should worship and follow. Or, as Exodus 20 verse 3 puts it, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, that works quite perfectly, doesn't it? Number one, you should only worship one God. So, just a quick point to ponder. Does this mean that capital G God believes it would be possible for the Israelites to have other lowercase g gods before him? Hmm. Now, where would the Israelites get an idea like that? Oh, yeah, they've just spent the last 400 years living in Egypt, where the Egyptians have a whole heap of these lowercase g gods that they worship and follow. You can go to Egypt today and still see, see many of the statues of these gods that they worshipped. Well, maybe one day when international borders open up again. Even Pharaoh himself, the king of Egypt, thought of himself as a god, and the people looked to Pharaoh as a god. Okay, so point to ponder over. Let's get back to the commands. Commandment number two, do not make or bow down and worship an idol or image of God. See, the swan is bowing down like we might if we were to worship an idol. But no, we must not do that. So why can't we worship or make images of God? Well, it's because images of God already exist. You want to see one? Just turn your head like this. Or like this. Or just look in a mirror. Yes, we humans are images of God. The first page of the Bible tells us this, Genesis 1, verse 26. So God can create images of God, but humans shouldn't create images of God because humans are images of God themselves. Okay, commandment three. Do not use God's name as a swear word, or as Exodus 20 verse 7 puts it, do not use God's name in vain. Right. So how on earth do you get that, don't use God's name as a swear word, out of the numeral three, or Maccas? Good question. Ten-year-old me sitting in Sunday school asked the exact same thing, and here's the answer I got. Well, picture this. You go into Maccas and you line up to order your food. But remember, it's the olden days, so that stupid giant iPad screen thing wasn't there. To order, you had to speak to a real person, an image of God. So you get your food, but the restaurant is packed. Remember, again, it's the olden days when a restaurant could actually be packed full of people. 
So there are no free tables to sit at. The only free tables are outside in the playground. So you head outside, you sit down and start to unwrap your Happy Meal. But also dining outside in the playground is a gang of youths, good name for a band. And the language these youths were using to communicate with one another was horrible. They were using God's name as a swear word. I know, right? Talk about a stretch. But you try and get do not use God's name in vain out of the numeral three. And I guess it worked. I can still remember the story and the commandment. Okay, so we need a motor to get through all these. So number four. So don't go off sailing on the bay on Sundays. Go to church. Hmm. Or perhaps a better interpretation might be, don't work all week, take a day off, rest and enjoy God's amazing creation. Or maybe even better, go check out Josh's message on the Sabbath from last year. Number five, honour your father and mother. See, the five is pregnant. She's going to be a mother. And look at this, she's having twins. How exciting. Commandment six, do not murder. Now, this one I didn't actually get from Sunday school. I got this from one of our awesome youth members when we went through the Ten Commandments in youth. You see, back in the day when I was in Sunday school, you couldn't show or promote guns in church. But given we have an eco-warrior like Mason as our pastor, I figured I'd get away with it. (laughs) Seven. Do not commit adultery. Always return to your spouse. Eight, do not steal. Watch any cartoon. Robbers are always wearing number eight masks. Number nine, what do you do in bed? Pretty self-explanatory, that one. And last but not least, ten, do not covet. So you're at a wedding reception, and it's the whole beef, chicken, beef, chicken thing. You end up with the beef, but you look beside you, and the chicken looks amazing. And you're stuck with the overcooked beef. So it's the whole, I'll have what she's having thing, wanting what belongs to someone else. Don't do that. So there you go, class. Well done. You've made it through my 10-year-old Sunday school lesson. No, please, don't clap that. Now, I'm I'm not sure I'd totally agree with all of the interpretations put forward in the lesson. And there is even much debate and different opinions between Bible scholars on how to number the Ten Commandments. But I do think it's a clever little way to remember the commands. Not sure how useful you'll find it, Maybe if the church was ever to put on like a Cahoots trivia night with a question about the Ten Commandments, it could come in handy to win yourself an Uber Eats voucher or something. But apart from that, not sure how useful this information may be. But it is God's word, and as Psalm 1 tells us, it's always great to have it uploaded for for meditation. Okay, so after all that, time to come clean. I'm not actually up here today to speak about the Ten Commandments. What I want us to study and really look into today is one of the Ten Commandments. And yes, it's the worst of our ten little number stories we just went through. Number three, come on down. 
Do not take the Lord's name in vain or do not misuse the name of the Lord, as some of our English translations put it. Or, as we've heard in some of our Sunday school classes, do not use God's name as a swear word. So we're driving in traffic and someone just totally cuts us off or we're at work and we smash our hammer with a our hammer, our finger with a hammer. But even then, in those most difficult and trying of times, we are not to use God's name as a swear word. But that's not too hard, is it? I mean, we have our special little words we can use instead, most of them containing four letters. Like, when I smash my finger at work, I just say, my, my, that hurt a lot, or <laughs> words to that effect. Or when we're driving, we can just say, my, my, sir or madam, that's not a very safe way to drive an automobile. My, my is probably the four-letter word you were thinking of before, yeah? In fact, this command is actually one of, if not, the easiest one to keep. If I thought I had number six covered as well, do not murder. That was until I read chapter five in Matthew, where Jesus explains it's not just cool if you don't actually murder someone, it's more of a heart issue. And if you've even got angry at someone or called them idiot, you've murdered them in your heart. Turns out you're listening to a mass murderer speaking to you today. Anyway, so from our Sunday school lesson, I thought I had this third commandment, do not misuse the name of the Lord, covered and all worked out. That was until I listened to a podcast featuring Carmen Imes. Now, Carmen Imes is a Hebrew Bible professor at Prairie College in Alberta, Canada. Carmen put five years of research and study into her doctorate dissertation, which she did on this one verse, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which resulted in her writing two whole books on this one verse. The first was a technical scholarly work, her dissertation, but the second was where she took the technical findings of her dissertation and put them into a simplified, approachable format so that someone who is not a Bible scholar, who knows Greek and Hebrew, could easily read and understand her findings. The title of this book is Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. And after hearing her on that podcast, I was so intrigued, I just had to read it. Now, when I say read it, I mean listen to it a few times on Audible. I'm not a reader at all. Anyway, I was not disappointed. Her book is brilliant, and her findings were amazing, to me anyway. And it's Carmen's findings which will direct us in our study today. So the first thing we need to do is to look at the command in its original language and context. Because, believe it or not, this command was not written to us in English in 2021. It was written in ancient Hebrew to the Israelite nation over 3,000 years ago. But first, to do that, we need to learn a new Hebrew word. And it's actually one of the easiest Hebrew words to remember. It's Nasa. But don't say NASA in our best Aussie accent, say NASA. Now this word means to lift up or to carry. So we can just think of a spaceship taking off, lifting up and carrying the astronauts. 
Now, nasar is the Hebrew verb used in this command. So the command is instructing the Israelite nation, do not carry or lift up God's name in vain or incorrectly. Now, this is confusing because like our Sunday school lesson, this command is often simplified into do not use God's name as a swear word. But there's not a single speech-related word in the command apart from the word name because you could argue that we say names. But we also do other things with names. We write them on things that we, we own. If we're back in Sunday school, we probably call people them. So what are we to do? This command is just so vague and unclear. If only the Bible had another passage to give some context and clarity to this lifting up and carrying of God's name. We are in luck. Flick forward a few pages in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 39. Now in verses 1 to 31, we get this insanely detailed description of how to dress the high priest the person who was to represent the people of Israel before God. This is Aaron, Moses' older brother, and his line of, de- of descendants. Now, I'm sure this passage will never make it to a bumper sticker or a fridge magnet, and I'm sure if you're anything like me, you'll skip straight over this passage. However, this is to our detriment, because believe it or not, this passage is so important and brings so much clarity, especially as we study this name command and try and work out its true meaning. So this passage, Exodus 39, gives us, in mind-numbing detail, some may argue, exactly how the high priest is to be dressed when carrying out his priestly duties. All these finest quality, blue, purple and scarlet yarns, masterfully crafted together, inlaid with strands and sheets of gold, adorned with pomegranates and bells. The priest is also to wear a breastpiece with all of these precious stones on it. Ruby, turquoise, sapphire, emerald, emerald, 12 stones in fact, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, each with their own name inscribed on one of these precious stones. Now, what Hebrew verb do you think is used to describe what the priest is doing with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel? You guessed it, Nassar. He's carrying the nation of Israel. He's lifting them up both literally and metaphorically before God. But wait, it gets even better. In verse 30, the high priest is also to wear a turban. And on this turban is a plate of gold. And on on this plate of gold is inscribed, holy belonging to Yahweh. Yahweh being God's personal name. The Israelites are left in no doubt at all as to what the priest is doing. He represents them before God. It's obvious. It's so obvious. It's written across his forehead. Okay, that's great. But what does all this priest stuff have to do with the Israelite people? It's the people who were given the command to carry and lift up God's name, not just the priest. 
Oh, I'm glad you asked. Let's turn back just one page from the Ten Commandments passage back to Exodus chapter 19. So some context here. It's now three months after God rescued the Israelites from Egypt. They've reached Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain and God says this to Moses. Exodus 19 verse 3. This is what you are to say to the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And there we have it. How are the Israelites to lift up and carry God's name? They are to act like priests, set apart from the other nations, to bear God's name, be his representatives to the world. We should be able to just look at an Israelite and be left in no doubt as to what God they serve. It might as well be written across their forehead. And of course... This takes us back to that barren old couple that started this whole nation off and God's promise to Abraham that through him, God will bring his blessing to all the nations. Genesis chapter 12. Be his representatives. Lift up and carry his name out into a world in desperate need of this Yahweh God. Can you see the logic in the numbering of the Ten Commandments now? Get ready for this. One, worship only the one created God, the God of gods, you know, the one who saved you. Two, get your worship right. When you worship God, this God, don't go making idols or images of God. Three, collectively together, we all are to lift up and carry God's name. Be good representatives of this God to the world. We are to be images of God. How are we to do this? Well, here's seven clear instructions to get you started. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, so that's all a lovely story. But haven't things changed now in the New Testament? A common misconception is that the Israelites had to earn their salvation or their freedom by upholding the law, including the Ten Commandments. But now that we have Jesus, sure, there's wisdom in them, but we surely aren't bound by these laws and instructions, are we? Well, when we look at the story logically, it becomes obvious that this thinking is incorrect. Does God tell Moses to go stand at the border of Egypt, turn to the Israelites and say, hey guys, I can get you out of here. Just follow these rules and God will set us free. No, that's not how the story goes at all. God saves the Israelite nation first. Then, as a loving response to this God, the Israelites are to represent him to the rest of the world through the way in which they conduct themselves and relate to each other. 
it turns out obeying these laws are neither a burden or a way of earning freedom. These laws are clear guidelines of how to live in freedom. Hmm. Have we been saved by this same God? How are we going as God's representatives? Now, speaking of the New Testament, Jesus himself can clearly see the importance of representing God's name well. We get a great illustration of this in Matthew chapter 6. This is one of the best-known passages in the entire Bible, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, hey guys, when you pray, pray like this. Now what does he open with? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So hallowed, there's a good Christianese word if I've ever heard one. What on earth does hallowed mean? I'm not sure. I'm sure none of us actually used it in conversation this week. Hmm. What about Nassar? Our Father in heaven, may we live our lives in such a way that your name be lifted up, that through our actions may we carry your name in such a way that your name is glorified, honoured and promoted to every nation throughout the earth. Wow, if we were to do that well, we might as well have Father God written across our foreheads. Okay, so a couple of things to note with the Lord's Prayer. First, pronouns. So far, we have our. And if we continue through the prayer, we get us, us, we, our, us, us. Okay, so what is obvious with every single one of these? Yep. There's nothing single about them at all. They're all plural. This is not a prayer to be prayed from an individualistic mindset. This prayer is a prayer to be prayed by a community, collectively together. Secondly, Matthew 6, verse 5. Before Jesus gets into his prayer, he says, When you pray. What does this mean? When you pray. Well, who is Jesus talking to? A group of first century Jews. And who is Jesus? Well, he's actually the son of God, but he's also a first century Jewish man. Huh. Okay, when do the Jewish people in the first century pray? Well, you see, this nation of people have got this tradition that's been going on for 1,500 years now where three times a day they would pray. What would they pray? They would pray the Shema prayer. What's the Shema? Now that's a topic for another day. Just head to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, and check that out during the week. Hmm. So do we believe Jesus actually meant it when he said, hey guys, when you pray, pray like this. Or was Jesus just making conversation or something? What would it do for Chelsea and the surrounding suburbs if we, as a community of people, were collectively committing to and reminding ourselves and each other three times a day? Our Father in heaven, 
May we live our lives in such a way that your name be lifted up, that through our actions, may we carry your name in such a way that your name is glorified, honoured and promoted to every nation throughout the earth. Wow. Now that's a prayer that could change not just Chelsea, but the whole world. So looking at this name command, the third commandment, in its original context, really does affect everything, doesn't it? It goes from being one of the easiest commands, when it's only about using God's name as a swear word, to one of the most difficult, when it covers all that we ever do. But then it gets confusing, because then Jesus goes on to state, in the four bibliographies of his life that we have, things like, Anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake, Matthew 19, 29. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name, Mark 16, 17. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, Luke 9, 48. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, John 14, 14. Just four verses plucked out of many where Jesus talks about his own name. So whose name are we to carry and lift up? God's, Yahweh's name, or Jesus' name? To which the answer is yes. You see, this is our invitation into an alternative kingdom, a different realm where things impossible are made possible. A kingdom where one plus one plus one doesn't in fact equal three, it equals one. The one created God, worthy of our worship. You know, the God who saved us. Now, we might be thinking to ourselves, so I'm expected in everything that I ever do to represent God well at all times? I am simply not able to do that. Correct. We are all screwed up humans and fail to be the image of God we were created to be. But don't worry. Good news. There was a human once who was able to live like this. But he died on a cross for us. In doing so, paying the price of our failings, saving us and setting us free from the persecution and slavery we were under. So that now, out of love and appreciation for what he's done for us, we can choose to follow him in loving loyalty and represent him to a world in desperate need of saving. Hmm, it's like we've heard this story all before. But this time, it's not destined to fail like the Israelites do later and pretty much the whole way through the story, when they turn away from God, resulting in them eventually getting kicked out of their milk and honey land, bringing shame and dishonor to God's name. So why aren't we destined to fail? Well, it's the last plus one that doesn't equal three. We are not able to represent this God before the world. We are enabled to represent this God before the world. God's spirit, God's own breath, lives within those of us who believe in him. This is a common thing Christians like to say, but do we really believe it? 
Okay, so there's just one more famous slash infamous passage we need to look at before, sorry, to look at where carrying names is a huge thing. It comes to us in the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, where John is writing a letter to seven persecuted churches. And in chapters 13 and 14, we read about a vision that John is having. Now, within this vision, there are two groups of people, each carrying a different name. The second group mentioned in chapter 14 are carrying the name of the Lamb, Jesus, and his, Jesus's, father's name. However, the group in chapter 13 carry an anti or opposing name. This is the name of the beast. This is the famous 666, which is a topic we won't be getting into today because what we need to focus on is how do these people carry God and Jesus's name? Well, would you look at that? It's written on their foreheads. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now, where do you think John, a man who undoubtedly knew the entire Hebrew Bible off by heart, would get an idea like carrying God's names on the forehead from? Yep, you guessed it. Exodus 39.30, the passage we just looked at. The priest with the plate of gold on his turban. But now it's not just God's, Yahweh's name, but also the Lamb's, Jesus' name, that people are to lift up and carry, promote and honour. John could not be clearer. Jesus is God. So we have literally tracked this carrying the name theme from Genesis to the Revelation and seeing how there is so much more to this command than just using God's name as a swear word. It should cover all that we ever do, taking it from one of the easiest commands to keep to one of the most challenging. But we pray that through our God's own spirit, his breath working within us, we can truly promote this God well to all the nations on earth. But we're left with one last problem. Our Sunday school lesson doesn't work now. How could we possibly link three, or Maccas, to carrying or lifting up a name? Well, would you look at that? This is going to just work out perfectly after all. There are few, if anyone on the planet, who are as good at lifting up and promoting their name as well as Maccas do. So what if now, as well as praying the Lord's Prayer together as a community three times a day to remind us of our mission to promote God's name well to the world, what if in addition, every time we see anything that carries the McDonald's name or symbol, we also use that as a reminder to represent God, the one who saved us well to the world? instead of just a reminder that this is a restaurant that will supply us with food nearly completely void of any nutritional value in the smallest amount of time. Sorry, Macca's not a massive fan. 
So there you go, guys. I hope you've been able to follow all that. I know we've jumped around a lot. So please, if you have any questions, come and see me after. Or better still, if this topic has sparked an interest in you, as it did in me, get hold of Carmen Imes' book, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. She is awesome. And her book is such a gift to the church. Let's close in prayer. Father God, in the realm of heaven, may we live our lives in such a way that your name is lifted up. May we carry your name in such a way that you are promoted well throughout the world. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray you will supply us with our daily needs. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from opposing powers, not of you. Amen.